so I have PTSD. Rowing basically like saved my life. Hello and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix where the water is always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real life experience from launch to cox seat at every level. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode featuring Killian Mullen and Liam Miranda talking rowing, college crew, and their experiences as transgender rowers. We paired Killian at just 16 years old with Liam, nearly 10 years his senior, to talk coming out, the importance of language for inclusion in our sport, and of course rowing, including tips on 2Ks and starts. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast, or subscribe to Steady State Podcast on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, could you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast gain traction, get noticed, and reach more ears. Rachel, you and I are both really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. We really like to look outside the standard pipeline and the generic rowing narrative. Today, we're talking with Corinne Kazmerzak, who'd been away from college and rowing for nearly a decade when she decided to pursue an exercise science and psychology double major at University of Buffalo. Corinne juggles school and a three-year-old son and has the goal of becoming a collegiate rowing coach. Corinne also struggles with anxiety and PTSD and found that participating in a sport she loved provided some relief. We're together today to talk about anxiety, its effects on sport performance, and the benefits of rowing for people with anxiety disorders. Corinne, thanks for being willing to talk with us. We really appreciate it. Sure. So how's your rowing week going? (laughs) Uh, The erg is staying back there this week, but I'm bringing it out next week. So this week I did some more runs. Great, great. Are you a, are you an avid erger? Are you a, are you a, I have to do it until I can be outside person? Well, when I was 13, I got money from school and my mom said I could either go to Costa Rica with my school or I could buy an erg. I picked the erg then. So. Wow. Wow. I really love the erg. I was also too scared to tell my coach I was going to miss three weeks of practice. So there was that too. A little less love now, but Yeah. That's awesome. What a choice to make, you know? Yeah. 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 Did you, have you ever had the chance to go to Costa Rica since? No. Oh, someday. (laughs) I had a really, I was in a really fun boat that year though. So I think it was a good choice was the right choice, but yeah, I got to go at some point. (laughs) And I I admire the fact that you chose your friends and your team over some (laughs) adventure, you know, like I've been to Costa Rica. I would say it's good, but you know, a good erg and a good racing boat is like, that's a lifelong memory. 
So can you um, tell us a bit about um, when you learned to row? So I have a whole family of musicians. We all play an instrument. When you turn four, you're like handed something and you play for an hour a day, seriously. So I had like a whole music career from four to probably 13. And then I wanted to do my own thing. And my mom's friend just told me that he knew I loved the water and he'd just gotten into rowing. And he's like, you know, you're really competitive. That might be really good for you. So I just randomly got into it and then got hooked really quickly. And that was a program through school? It's a club program in Buffalo. So it's the Westside Rowing Club club team. So if your high school or your middle school didn't have a team, you got to join that. Nice. Do you remember the first few times you went out on the water and what that was like? Yeah, it was really cool. It, it just like we were going so fast. So it was really cool. I loved it. I was probably the worst novice in the history of that program, though. My coach had to sit me down and tell me I was getting crabs like every single stroke. So the spring I spent like living in the tanks with my coach every time before practice and all that to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I bet you were a powerhouse and they were just trying to like rein you in, you know, you you liked it a lot. Yeah. They knew I loved it and they knew I was competitive, but I was terrible. <laughs> so even though you felt that you were terrible or maybe were terrible, what really like, what did you love about it? Cause it can be really easy to say, I'm just, I'm terrible. I, I want to give up. So what really got you hooked? I think I liked having a place to go that like wasn't related to music, wasn't related to my family, where I could just kind of like get more confidence and be as competitive as I wanted to be, which does not really go well when you're like playing violin and your older brother's playing violin too. So it was just, it was just really nice to have a safe space, space to like be myself. Yeah. It was like your thing. Yeah. And do you remember like a regatta or a coach who really like had a positive impact on you or just kind of a good experience at a regatta or a race or anything that just was like, this is the sport for me. Like, this is it for me. I was really lucky. I had a bunch of really good coaches kind of back to back, but my novice coach that told me about catching the crabs every stroke, she put a lot of time in with me and I finally like made it to the top boat by the end of the season. And then every other person on my team for that regatta got a medal. And that was the one time the A-boat lost. So it was like terrible day because I'm watching all my friends win everything. And it was the one time that we lost. She gave me a notebook and it just had a little note in there talking about that like medals don't matter. And at the end of the day, it's how you feel in the race and like the work you put in. And that was kind of the first time someone said that to me and made me feel better about it. Wow. That's really powerful. I love, I love a good Mavis coach like that who can really, or a good, you know, high school coach. I had great coaches as well in high school. It's really set a good standard for me and, and just made me fall in love with the sport. I think that's their main job, right? At that age, just mm -hmm. keep them coming back, keep them having fun, keep them working hard. And did you go on to in college? I did. Um, I was at UMass for less than two years. Um, Cause I had some stuff happened and I had to go home, but I rode for Jim Dietz there and it was amazing. He's like so hooked on sculling every morning. So he would get there before we would, and he would row like a 10 K or so. And we'd all be half asleep coming off of the bus. And he'd be so excited, like so hyper, like he just drank 10 cups of coffee, but he'd be so excited about rowing. So it was really cool to meet like another person who was that excited about sculling. Cause there's not really sculling around here. Oh, really? In, in Buffalo, in that area? Yeah. When I started sculling, um, there were no high school sculling programs or anything. So I basically just annoyed my coach. I saw a picture of Michelle Gura in Rowing News and th 
thought like I could do even better rowing on my own and that would be really cool. And my junior year, I had a coach who said he had experience coaching sculling and I basically bugged him until he threw me in a boat. And I think he was expecting me to flip. Um, and then I didn't, it actually went well. So then it was like another problem he had to figure out. <laughs> yeah. At that time, was there any racing opportunities for, for sculling in high school squat at the scholastic level? I know now there, there, there is. Yeah. There, I mean, we're close to Canada, so we could go over there in the summertime oh, yeah. and go race. So I, I just had to do sculling and do sweep at the same time. Do you think that the sculling made you a better sweep? Yeah, I think so. Um, I do really well, like I'm a kinesthetic learner, so I do really well when I can feel what I'm doing wrong and just be able to fix it. So I think once I could feel what I was doing wrong in the single, I could apply it better in sweep. Yeah, yeah. they say that you should, when you learn to row, you should learn to row sculling and then go to sweep. I teach the, those kind of big learn to row classes. They're like 25 people and I don't have 25 singles. So I put them in eights. Um, mm -hmm. to do that but I've I've also tried the other way around when I have a small class and I, I think it's actually true that sculling you really learn how a boat moves when you're when you're rowing in a single yeah and all the I mean all of the control it takes in this single everything I've heard everybody that I've talked to has said you know you move from a single into a big boat and it's like piece of cake in that big boat right and but you also realize what you're getting away with in a big boat you know when you talk about it like having anxiety or having uh issues like that sometimes being in a big boat can be uh problematic i know i've coached learn to row students adult learn to row students who have ptsd and you see them you know get triggered and now they're surrounded by seven other people that they don't really know very well and they're having this moment and you can see it and, and there's like this kind of unofficial communication happening uh, between me and them and being like, you know, what do you need to do? And um, do you feel like the single kind of gave you that moment to love rowing by itself without having to have a lot of people around and then you got to go back and forth? Do you think that was helpful? Yeah, I think the single just helped me with my confidence and kind of my issues over the stuff that had happened to me. But sweep was great whenever I was in a boat with like all my friends. Because then when you feel that panic, you have everyone you care about, like all around you. So it was a little easier to get grounded. Sure. But it's, it's dependent on the boat. <laughs> yes, exactly. Having a learn to row boat with no one you know is a different experience than, than being with your buddies who absolutely mm -hmm. care about you. Um, so you're becoming a coach. Um, I coached for about a year and a half at a local club called BSRA. So I got to run the modified sculling program there, which was really fun. Um, and then I got to work with the competitive teams a little bit. Great. So how, what's your coaching philosophy? Do you know, are you developing it or what's your gut feeling about how you would approach the, the whole athlete? The medals aren't the thing that you should focus on as a coach. It's about how the race felt and just putting everything out there. And if the, like, if the athlete can come off the water and tell you that that's what they did, you shouldn't make them feel bad for anything else. Cause the medals will come if they have the right attitude. And then also kind of being aware of the kids that are the outliers that are the misfits or the problem kids and giving them a little more attention instead of just judging them right off the bat based on what another coach says. Cause some of those kids are just burnt out or they have personal issues and they just need a little extra help. A little extra help, a little extra attention, a little more communication. Mm -hmm. yeah. And not everybody, like you very astutely said, you know, you're a kinesthetic learner and not everybody knows what kind of learner they are. And uh, what, how important do you think it is for a coach to understand 
their kids to the point where they know that kid's an auditory learner, a kinesthetic learner, a visual learner, and having an approach that met, meets all of those needs. I think that's really important. And then also teaching the kids what those approaches are so that they can learn that about themselves. So like I learned in high school from one of my coaches that I was a kinesthetic learner. And then it helped me to be able to tell teachers in the future, this is how I learn or like in future sports, you know, if you just move me to the right position in judo or something, I'll learn it, but I'm not going to learn it by you saying it. It's going to take me longer. Absolutely. So I, I wanted to talk to you a, a little bit more about anxiety mm-hmm. and, you know, I was doing a little bit of reading about it. Uh, you know, admittedly, I'm, I'm not a, a specialist in anxiety. I, as a coach, have dealt with rowers with anxiety and PTSD and seen some of that um, manifest itself on the water while we're rowing during pieces as well as off the water. But I read some, some interesting statistics about, um, about just how many people are dealing with anxiety. And, um, you know, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, Anxiety disorders are the most common type of mental illness in the U.S. Approximately 40 million people over age 18 are affected, nearly one in three adolescents. And nearly half of those uh, begin experiencing anxiety by age six. I did not realize that. Um, And then there are folks where something happens to them as they get older, like in your case. Um, and NCAA research shows that almost 85% of uh, athletic trainers believe that anxiety disorders are currently an issue with student athletes on their campus. So it's out there. <laughs> and How- that's not even considering COVID. I mean, yeah. there's COVID is, is those poor kids who are already vulnerable to, to this kind of thing are now without their teams, without the workouts, without the exercise, you know, if they haven't figured it out or they live in some place like Buffalo where it's, you know, one degrees or, you know, it's like they can't um, go out for a run together with their team. So it sounds like it's pretty prevalent. Is that what you're learning in school now with your degree program? Yeah, I'm actually taking sports psychology right now. So we're starting to learn about all of it, but I've definitely like, I only coached for the year and a half, but there were definitely a lot of kids with anxiety that struggle with that. I know for me, um, it helped me if I could kind of come up with plans for things. So one of our coaches said, make a flashcard for your 2K and write down when you're going to do power tens and all that. And when he gave me structure like that, that really helped for me. Yes, I've definitely had kids with anxiety where I've said, put a post-it note on the erg of your plan. And, and I think anytime that you can provide that you know, method or strategy. Is that what the class is talking about? Like really specific examples of how to help athletes? Yeah, they even said that um, when they did studies of like Olympic athletes, the medalists versus the non-medalists, um, the ones who medals had plans like that. They had solid mental plans that they went through all the time. So some of them had it written out if something goes wrong and they would list out all the things that could go wrong. And this would be my plan. If this goes wrong, how I'm going to calm myself down and get grounded again. So that's interesting. Cause that's something I kind of learned on my own, but I mean, for me, I think it helped. So if something went wrong, as long as you could just trust them, you could let go of your anxiety and just kind of let them deal with it. Um, and then when I was in my own boat, I had to write out like obnoxiously long plans, which I was laughed at for a lot, but that was the thing that worked for me. 
That sounds like what, uh, how I am as a coxswain, um, especially I've had the opportunity to cox at the head of Charles and I get probably too anxious, like more anxious than I need to get about it. And the last time I had the chance, it was my fifth time down the course, but I was the most anxious about that, that particular row that day. And I spent days studying, days studying a course that I already knew. My notes were crazy. I write these little notes and I like have this whole system of like taping them to my hand and my arm for race day. Um, but then you, just like you said, it gets you, um, assurance <laughs> and confidence for day of. So it absolutely makes sense to, to handle it that way. You know, and anxiety can present itself at different times. For some people, it's before the competition, worrying that you're not going to perform well. For some folks, it's during the competition. Um, they're, worried, they're focused on negative instead of positive. And then after the competition, worrying, did I perform well enough? Am I, have I let people down? So it can manifest itself in all these different ways. Do you feel like there's some opportunities for coaches to learn more about this on their own and bring it to the boathouse? Or do you feel like one of your visions might be to provide information for coaches to learn from? I mean, I think it would be great if all coaches would be more aware of it. And if there was something we could all look at, um, but I liked the US rowing conference. Um, one of the coaches said that he does kind of mental health checks. So once a month he gives his kids kind of a sheet and they fill it out saying how they're doing mentally. Like, you know, if they're a little more stressed, if stuff's going on outside of practice. And I think that's something we need to factor in. We all need to be more aware of. Yeah, so do you see that as your, uh, your future coaching style is to, be really in touch with your kids and just how their lives are and make you a really approachable coach? Like how would you describe your future coaching style? Yeah, I think I would be more approachable about all of that. And then also I hope that I would, you know, have athletes that would feel comfortable enough where if something was going on, they could tell me so we could work on, like if they say I'm struggling with anxiety, you should feel like you can tell your coach and not worry about them taking you out of a boat because of it or worrying about like selection being affected. Um, instead, like the coach should just give you tools to help you with it or refer you to someone if they can't, if they're limited. Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of teams, juniors teams bring in like a mindfulness person or a, a you know, a visualization person um, to try and help the whole team channel some of their anxiety, you know, around, or you know, channel some of their power, their confidence around, around racing. I think the whole coaching profession has really changed in the last several years and last couple of decades, really with this push to coach the whole athlete, which is something that Tara and I have been talking a fair amount about recently. Um, Cause I remember being a kid and going to practices and I don't remember coaches when I was 10, 11, 12 years old asking me, Hey, how are you doing today, Rachel? Like it just, you know, it was, here we are, we're doing our drills. We're going to, you know, do a, we're going to hit some balls around and then you, you leave. And there's just such a shift. The coaches, the younger coaches that I'm talking to today are keyed in on this. They know that communication amongst coaches and coaches to rowers and coaches to parents, all of that is key to making happy athletes, successful athletes, um, so I'm really glad to hear that that's, um, you know, something that 
is incredibly important to you and that you see uh, bringing into your coaching style when you get the opportunity. I'm assuming maybe once you graduate from school, that's when you're going to start looking for coaching opportunities. Yeah, I think the two majors right now and the little ones a lot, but but yeah, I definitely in the future, I just don't want the kids to feel like mental health problems are a weakness. Um, even in my sports psychology class, they were talking about studies where they found that people without mental health problems did better um, athletically. And then two pages later, after I got mad reading it, they said, we found out that that was wrong. So, I mean, if, if I had an athlete who told me they had PTSD or something, I could list off the Olympians or, you know, list off the books of the Olympians where, you know, those people had trauma and they overcame it and they ended up having more grit because of it. There are athletes too, who will tell you that, yes, they made it to the, the Olympics. Yes, they won medals, but man, do they have some issues that they needed to work out? You yeah. know, they were anxious getting to the line. They were anxious sitting on the line. They were worrying about um, how they were going to um, do in that race. Uh, and sometimes we just don't, we just don't know it because it's, you know, we can't see it. Check out the show notes on our website to see photos of Corinne, along with links to the people and clubs mentioned in the episode, www.studystatenetwork.com. And we're back with Corinne Kasmerzak talking mental health and rowing. You know, we really love to know personal stories, of course, as much as people are comfortable with. And just how can we help you relate to the larger rowing community? How can there be somebody out there right now who's a future coach or a rower who's just like, man, that's me. And that sounds like a great idea, like writing out a plan or, or something. We don't know who's listening to this. Maybe is there any advice you could give for a rower who's struggling to deal with their anxiety or some PTSD and just, I mean, there's writing out a plan. That's a great idea. You know, like, here's my plan for today. I'll do that too. I love lists. Lists just calm me like in a huge way. I love them so much. But if you had any advice for, let's say a new rower who's, you know, 13 years old and just is like, wow, I don't really even know, you know, I'm struggling a lot. Is this the sport for me? Like what's, what's some advice you would have for them? I had really good coaches who told me, you know, cause I was more of a perfectionist from the anxiety. Um, like it's okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just try to have fun with it. Just try to relax and don't put all the pressure on yourself. Um, and if you don't make the top boat, like my, I have a 12 year old sister um, and she's doing soccer right now and she's not really good yet. And she's worried about it. Cause she's not the right size. She's not tall enough. She hasn't bulked up or any of that. And I've kind of told her the same thing. My coaches told me, which is, if you're the underdog, just embrace that. Like, it's awesome. There's no pressure on you. Nobody's expecting you to be first place every time. Just enjoy that and then sneak up on everybody else. Like when they're not looking, but just work hard and you'll get there. I like that. Sneak up on everybody else. Just like yeah. ninja style. <laughs> That's awesome. We usually wrap up with a rapid fire Q and A's. You ready and willing? Yeah, these are easy. Port or starboard? Starboard. Salt water or fresh water? I actually want to try salt water. Uh, bow seat or stroke seat? Stroke. <laughs> uh, head race or sprint race? Sprint. Okay. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? My one coxswain would say fire and ice whenever we were neck and neck with a boat. One would be fire, one would be ice, but we would cancel out whatever they were doing. Wow. Fire and ice. We get such creative answers to this. I love 
Tim Coxons are so creative. It's amazing. For rowing, uh, in a boat or on an erg, unisuit or tank and trow? Tank and trow now. <laughs> Coffee before or after an erg or a row? Neither. It makes me too hyper. I barely ever have coffee. Nice. So you, maybe you do the Jim Dietz uh, coffee the, the way he was waking up. <laughs> Where he's like, go row 10K and then you're wide awake. And then you're up. Yeah, I think that helps more. Yeah. We're both tea drinkers. <laughs> but we know so many people drink coffee. That is kind of an interesting question to ask. But I actually like this idea, you know, the Jim Dietz, uh, like the level of excitement and the adrenaline and all that that comes from the row. Um, exactly. Like who needs coffee? Right. Well, we'd love talking to you. We love hearing about all of this. We can't wait to see what happens for you. All right. Well, thanks, Corinne. It was really nice catching up with you. All right. Thanks. Thanks, right. Corinne. Bye. Bye. So, wow, that was great to talk, chat with Corinne. Yeah, I'm really glad that we got the chance to reconnect with her. You know, she's a busy gal being in school and, and the mom of a toddler and uh, doing a lot of great work. It's nice to see her back in school, too, um, and, and pursuing something like psychology of sport. I think that's pretty impressive. I think she said she took about nine years away from school and decided to go back. And her experiences in past with rowing and what that's meant to her prompted her to return to school and start studying um, sports psychology. And I think down the road, she would love to get back in a launch as a coach. So that's pretty great goals. Well, it's also like rowing really left an imprint on her. Yeah. Like clearly it left a huge imprint on her. And that was at a pivotal time in her life. And I think there are a lot of our listeners who can relate to rowing, having a tremendous effect, a tremendous impact. For instance, uh, people who uh, come to rowing late in life, you know, and find it as a sport and a club at a community, it's bound to help your mental health. Discover yourself that way. Yeah. And Corinne, you know, talked about the fact that she had some really great coaches when she was very young who provided her a really safe environment and helped her be a successful rower at that time. Yeah. And like you were saying, for rowers that come into it later in life, the thing that I always loved about being a master's learn to row coach were the stories that I heard from people about why they got into rowing and what it offered them. And a lot of times those stories weren't about, I want to learn to row so that I can race so that I can win medals. It was I wanted a new community of people for support. I got divorced. Um, somebody died. I'm dealing mm -hmm. with breast cancer. And we all have these things in our lives that we're looking to find a release from or gain some control over. Right. Uh, and so that's something I really liked uh, that Corinne talked about is that it provided her uh, structure and control over her anxiety. Which ultimately was a healing experience for her mm -hmm. and a transformative experience for her. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think a lot of people come into rowing with that idea. Like maybe they don't, they, they can't articulate it. Yeah. And I know we're talking about master's rowers, but I think kids too, you know, the, the parent that says, I want to put my kid in rowing. And then the parent that comes back when the kid graduates from high school and says, I had no idea. I thought it was just a sport. Like I had no idea. Um, but the same with the adults who come in sort of not realizing how transformative it, it would be, uh, how challenging it would be. Um, it might reveal something about themselves that they weren't expecting. 
it's yeah there's a that, lot of unexpected surprises I think lots of right exactly you know we think about uh, especially at the high school level you know you begin a sport you go to practices it's good you get to run around you have some friends hopefully it teaches you a few things about um, um, taking charge of your day and discipline and things like that but you're right when I've talked to parents of high school and collegiate rowers, they talk about how it really structures the day. And, yeah. and the rowers themselves will say how it puts them like going to practice and, and or knowing that they have practice coming later in the day, let's say, they know that they need to take control over their day and, and get on top of things. And, uh, and I think the added element with rowing is that you have literally seven other people counting on you, yeah. right? And it's not it's not necessarily like a football team or like a soccer team or, or another uh, you know, cross-country type of sport. Um, literally the whole thing rides on the weakest link in the boat. Yeah. And I think kids get this in their minds that they're like, oh, damned if that's going to be me. Mm. On the flip side of that, adults coming into rowing, they come in with those preconceived senses of themselves right they're like i'm a slow learner i'm a you know i'm uncoordinated uh i never played sports i was terrible at sports i'm or, afraid of the water i'm, I'm afraid of the water yeah, yeah. um i don't want to be the one that holds everyone back i mean i can't tell you how many times in masters learned to row i have had people, I always hang out after practice and people will come up to me and they're like in tears because they're like, the boat was unset because of me. It was my fault. You know, they're so upset. Yeah. But then you have to take into consideration that this person also confided in you or confided in the group that their house just burnt down. They just went bankrupt. They're going through a divorce. They're now an empty nester. They just decided that it was time to take their body back, take their time back. Um, so you've got all this pressure and all this weight. Now imagine if that person has chronic anxiety and PTSD. And you've got I mean, to get to the boathouse on time. You're dealing with traffic. Your, your clothes don't fit because you gain 10 pounds, you know, whatever it is. Right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine uh, experiencing rowing as a beginner, especially, but I think also anytime you're just in a new situation or you're your uh, tackling something new and then add uh, PTSD and, and chronic anxiety on top of that, or some version of that, or some version of mental health issues. Um, so I really applaud her for not only, I mean, she lucked out. She got some great coaches who knew how to coach the whole athlete who gave her the right things to focus on the right things to focus away from. Um, but also the team environment, you know, she talked about whether she liked to row in eights over singles and that singles gave her confidence and made her a better eights rower, but she liked to be with her people in the eight. Um, even though I would have assumed that that was too much pressure. And I think we did when we interviewed her, that that was a lot of pressure to be in an eight and maybe have a panic attack or maybe have some sort of thing happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she said she thought uh, having people around her she saw that as a support structure, which I love that that was her answer, that she, for her, the anxiety didn't manifest itself in being in a, in a team boat. And that was a really right. supportive environment for her. Right. So, and I like to think that her coaches were, were alerted in some way. Um, not, and not every 
kid or adult feels comfortable divulging that kind of information. But here's the thing that, that the rowers need to know. The coach sees everything. A good coach who can coach the whole athlete sees it. They see yeah. the tension. They see what I call the poo-poo face. You know, mm. when they're rowing with their face, like, mm. oh, you know, they're yes. making that face. Yes. Um, you see the white knuckle you know, on the oar, you, you see, see the them eye come back. rolling, the eyes yeah. rolling when they're yeah. mad. Yeah. yeah. You see the, um, the deep blisters, you know, that aren't healing on their hands. You know, I would, during learn to row, I would be like hand check and they all had to hold their hands out and be mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Uh, because it's a manifestation of anxiety and stress. Yeah. You know, the way that they're holding their shoulders, like, oh, my neck is so messed up. Um, it just means, you know, as a coach, you need to do more, you know, relax yeah. and, and I'll tell them a funny joke or yeah. shake out know, the shoulders, like shake it out. Yeah. You know. So, you know, I had several years of coaching experience, everything from, you know, n- novice high school rowers to competitive, uh, masters rowers. Right. And as a, competitive masters coach is where I came across a handful of rowers dealing with anxiety and PTSD. Mm. And I have a a U.S. rowing level two coaching certification, but it's, I got it years ago and I'm not, I think today that certification is a bit different and there's more discussion about these sorts of issues that we're talking about. The, The certification I don't think anymore is just about technique, training, uh, boat maintenance. Yeah. Rigging. Um, so, but truth be told as a, as a coach from day one, as a coach, I was making it up as I went along. I did as much research as I could. I talked to as many other coaches as I could, but there were always times where something came up where I felt like this is uncharted territory for me on the water, off the water. And some of that came with rowers with anxiety and not quite knowing how to handle it. And in 2020 hindsight, I can say for sure, I didn't handle it correctly. You know, I tried, I did my best. They were good people. I was trying to be a good person, but I know that you've come from a background um, working with para athletes and the you've said that working with para-athletes could really translate well. We could all learn a lot from coaching and working para, working with para-athletes that we could bring to um, able-bodied rowers. So do you have an example, not of off the water, working with athletes with anxiety? Because I think that's one facet of it. But let's say we're on the water, we're doing a workout and something starts to happen with a rower that you know has anxiety. What have you seen and how have you worked with that? Yeah, this was actually a pretty prevalent example that just happened uh, the last time I taught Learn to Row, which due to COVID, of course, was a summer of 2019, which seems like 50,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, and I had a rower, uh, she had just retired. So she'd just retired after like a 40 year career and was really feeling emboldened, I think, you know, and was feeling ready to learn and ready to try something new. And, and then it just, she never came to me and said, I have PTSD. I have some trauma, you know, and it manifested itself in me being a coach on the water with her and I tend to be a very conservative learn to row coach. And this was probably weeks and we, I think this was a couple months into it. 
right? So they're they're pretty comfortable with me. My Learn to Row programs are usually three or four months long, and they're very comfortable with me, and I'm very I know them fairly well. And I think what I had done wrong was I hadn't taken stock of the group. I hadn't taken stock of everybody's faces that day. How's everybody looking? How is everybody feeling? Uh, which I like to do as a coach. I circle everybody up. How is everybody doing? Good. You know, hugs, high fives. Mm -hmm. I hadn't taken stock. I had moved very quickly into practice mode. I had put the launch out. And I think what a part of me was doing was testing them because I knew that the coach I was going to hand them off to was a little more fast paced than me. Yeah. And usually in learn to row about halfway through, I start to um, transition them into the coach that they're going to end up with. And sometimes it's a little bit of a harsh reality because I'm a different kind of coach. Definitely. And I still, I think I'd rushed the situation and I had rushed them into their eight and I had rushed them out into the water and I had thrown a couple of drills at them that I knew they knew, but I knew that my normal coaching style would be, I'd hold their hand a little bit more. I'd explain a little bit more. And it was by fours. And I'm like, stern four, bow four, middle four, and four, and pairs, you know? Da, 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 da. Yeah. And this person just shut completely down. Mm -hmm. And something I had learned about working with people with PTSD in sport is that they lose the ability to hear you. They lose the ability to coordinate their, their body and they just freeze. Now, I'm also on the other side of that. I'm also a huge fan of do not talk in the boat. And I know that that's a cultural thing mm -hmm. uh, across boat houses. Some boat houses are fine with it. Some boat houses are not. I think in the learn to row environment, keep your mouth tight. Like just put your hand <laughs> in your mouth if you need to say something. <laughs> well, on this particular day, everybody was feeling my tension mm. of like, move, 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 you know? And so then the girl behind her starts talking at her. Da, 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 da. what are you doing? What are you doing? The girl in front of her turns around and tries to support her. No mm -hmm. one knowing what's happening. Yeah. She just sh tunnel shut down <laughs> and I couldn't have a way of really communicating with her. So I had to keep her pair out practically speaking. Um, you know, I can't address her directly and say, what's going on? How can I help you? Mm -hmm. I had to do some hand signals, you know, that we had worked out as a team of mm -hmm. how to check in without having to vocalize. Um, are you okay? You know, tug your ear or thumbs up, middle thumb, thumb down. Mm -hmm. um, and she didn't come back to rowing for three weeks. Mm -hmm. Was completely just set way, way, way back for her. Mm. And it was a long road to get her back on the water. And, uh, and unfortunately with COVID, we haven't been able to successfully get her back. Yeah. Um, but she was engaging, you know, up until COVID, she was still engaging with the group because she was retired and she needed, she was building her community again. Um, so she had a lot of positive things going for her, much like Corinne. Anyway, it's a very long answer to your question, but. No, that's okay. I like, um, I like how you described um, a system of communicate of nonverbal communication, because it can be really awkward when you call someone out and someone may not need to have this whole big conversation about what's going on internally, but they just might need to let you know, hey, I need a second, right? I need a second to breathe. I need a second to not feel stressed out about catching and worrying about a crab or whatever. Right. 
So the tug, the thumbs up, the thumbs down. I, I really like that idea. Well, and also what I'll do is I'll take the temperature of the whole boat based on how they're rowing and I'll yeah. stop the whole boat and we'll yeah. all do a deep yeah. inhale, breath out. Yeah. I'll be like, turn around and make eye contact with the person yeah. behind you and thank them for being there today. Yeah. Or something, yeah. just a, a moment of generosity Yeah. with each other. Turn around and give the person behind you a high five. Yeah. Uh, what did I used to say? Way enough, stretch around, take a drink, say hi to your neighbor. Yeah. I used to say that, like, I mean, I've probably said that like a thousand times. Yeah. Every time we'd stop the boat, I'd be like, stretch around, grab a drink, say hi to your neighbor. Yeah. And, and at the end of every practice, I would always facilitate this team sense so that this person would feel safe no matter who was coaching her if she had her teammates with her, right? Because it's not, it shouldn't be coach dependent. Um, that, and that's a whole other conversation. I'd yeah. love to have some time actually, because it's, it's, I think it's easy, especially at the master's level to feel like I'm here because I have paid to be at practice. And it's great that I'm in this boat with these people who are helping me work out and get up and down the river. But then I get, off the water boat gets in the racks we say see you later right and yeah. you may not build or be a part of a big bigger team uh community and i think that's unfortunate when that happens yeah i think as a as a coach um and no matter what level you're teaching you need to be teaching uh teamwork yeah and and compassion and empathy for each other when we would huddle up at the end, before we'd go, we always did a huddle at the end, which I thought, I think is critical. It seems so small, but it's such a big deal. And I had them all, I, they always had to thank their pair partner, thank their coxswain for the work that they did that day. That's nice. Thank you for coming today. Like eye contact, thank yeah. you for coming. And, in, and inevitably it led to, are you all right? How was your row? That was fun, that sucked how, you know, inevitably they got to relate to each other yeah. and it made them such a strong group of people. It was one of my favorite jobs in the world to teach masters learn to row. Absolute favorite job in the world. It's well, just such a wonderful community, but it's such a, a, it's such a microcosm of, I think, adult athletes. You just get to see them all eight at a time and, and their, their funny little ways and their little egos, you know, being bruised. <laughs> catching grabs yeah yeah and everybody's personality comes out in the boat in their own way it could be oh yes it could be the eye rolling it could be slamming the blade on the water when we could have a, we could have a whole discussion yeah. about that yeah the, the i've i've probably been guilty of that too like trying to trying to you know you think that you can telegraph some message to the coach through through the eye roll or the you know beaming your eyes at them and it's like who can the coach is going to do what they want to do and you have to deal with it yourself but anyway this has been lovely um i'm really glad we had corinne on uh i think this might be a game changer for some people who have been struggling with anxiety and ptsd in their rowing careers and maybe have been feeling shy uh, I hope that it touches some folks and inspires some folks to have honest conversations with their coaches and with themselves and their teammates and uh, just help your teammates know what makes you tick and what makes you thrive. You know, I think that's really the message here. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Thanks for Tara for wrapping it up that way. Yeah. It's time to check it down and finish up this episode like we always do. 
Each week, listeners share the best rowing-related things that happened to them. Hey there, Steady State Network. This is Martha from Catalyst Rowing Fitness here in Verona, Wisconsin. You can find us at CatRowFit on the social medias. Hey, thanks you guys for the quick shout out during your Friday morning coffee chat. It's great to hear from you. And thanks for the kudos on my racing the 500 meter piece in the Rower's Choice Global Rowing Challenge. That was indeed the best and the worst part of my rowing week. I'll tell you why. I signed up for this just to help encourage our athletes here at Catalyst Rowing Fitness to get involved in some virtual racing. A bunch of athletes from our studios did, and it turns out I went to the final four in my age group for the 500-meter piece. Hey, I haven't been training for this, but what the heck, sometimes coaches can just jump into a racing situation and grit it out. That's exactly what I tried to do. I got bested by the beastly and formidable Morgan McGrath. She beat me handily over 500 meters, no problem, but I had so much fun doing this race. Not the looking forward to it, but the doing it was, as always, amazing. Just like we've done with our studio here, I encourage people to take a big old trip out of their comfort zone once a week, once a month, every once in a while. That's what I've done as a small business owner here, launching a rowing-based fitness studio exactly one month before the COVID-19 pandemic really set in. But it's been a bumpy, amazing ride ever since, and I'm so happy and grateful for the community that we've built. Hey, let's keep in touch and talk more. In the meantime, row hard and have fun. Thanks again. Add your voice. Call 240-390-6026 and leave a brief message with your name, club affiliation, and best rowing-related thing that happened to you this week. Or record a voice memo on your phone and send it to bestpart at steadystatenetwork.com. Hey, Tara, what's coming up on our schedule? Because we miss morning practices and really miss post-practice coffee with teammates, we're hosting 30-minute coffee chats every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on Facebook Live and Instagram Live. Grab your favorite mug, join the conversation, and become part of something that's bringing the rowing community together across the country and around the world. And let's row together. Join us on Zoom Ergos for Steady State Sundays, During these 60-minute steady-state erg workouts, we'll offer up chatter and cues scattered throughout to pass time and keep you motivated. Arrive warmed up, stay as long as you want, and stick around after to chat. Register for free at zoomergos.com. We're also excited to be a media partner for the one-of-a-kind Para Rowing Global Meetup Series hosted by Seize the Oar Foundation. These free sessions are open to all para rowing coaches, athletes, admins, and fans to talk, connect, and strategize for para-rowing success in 2021 and beyond. Find out more at SeizeTheOar.com. To support Tara and Rachel's work, see extras and outtakes, and join our Patreon community, visit SteadyStateNetwork.com. In two, let it run. One, two, let it run.